What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. This is episode 112, brought to you, as always, by SorrySports.com. It's finally here. We had Mike French on to do a college football preview. So we started off breaking down a little bit of the top 25, then going on all of the Power 5 conferences with his favorites out of there, him sprinkling in a lot of NFL prospects uh, throughout. So anybody that doesn't like college football, there's, that gives you something to listen to. After that, we talked a little bit of Heisman and some teams outside the power conferences that he's a big fan of. Um, following that, we talked college football playoffs and some outlying stories of the college football season. Then he wrapped it up with an NFL preview. I really liked his takes on that. So follow us on Twitter at Sorry Sports, on Instagram, Sorry underscore Sports. Check out the website, as always, SorrySports.com, and shoot us an email if you have anything to say, SorrySports at Yahoo.com. Enjoy the pod. We will be talking to you soon. everybody welcome back to sorry to interrupt we're here for our full college football preview reluctantly tom agreed to this and uh we've got mike french on the line for the first time since his nfl draft preview and analysis it's good to have you back frenchy what's up yeah happy to be back another college football season another you know group of prospects ready to go ready to get scouted and ready to make a name for themselves so i mean this is why they've been playing the games forever so let's break them down looking forward to it all right. Awesome, All right. So let's jump right in. I have a hot take. I thought of this yesterday in the car, and let's do it. I think it's pretty on point. All right. Here we go. Here we go. You guys sitting down? Everybody sitting down? I'm ready to rock, man. Let's hear it. College football fans, in general, are the Game of Thrones fans of sports. Period. Mm. Every time I talk to a person that's a fanatic about college football and I tell them that I don't really like it and I don't really watch it, you would have thought that I told them that I don't breathe air. Mm. Oh, you got to watch college football. It's so much better than the NFL. Oh, oh my God, you got to do this. Oh, blah, 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 blah. The game's so much better. Oh, it's so much more intense. Oh my God, why don't you just go kill yourself because you don't watch college football? It's the same exact thing as those fraud-ass Game of Thrones fans that won't let me live my life, period. Strong. Frenchie, how do you feel about that? I mean, I'm a college football fan, and I want to disagree, but, you know, Game of Thrones fans would probably want to disagree, too. I think it's it's somewhat of a fair comp. I'm not, I'm not going to bend him over a barrel over that one. I think it's spot on. Yeah. I see your point. I mean, it definitely is something where... And I'm not saying you two, because you guys are, are a little more level-headed fans. Maybe you guys wouldn't have booed Andrew Luck either. But these college football fans, like, at work, I'll be like, oh, I can't wait for football. Now, are you talking about, like, fans that like of, like, legitimate teams that, like, you have a, an association with, with the fan base? Or are you really just talking about, I'm in talking general, about the people that spend their Saturdays? I see it and, all yeah. too much, where it's like, I have a coworker and he's like, how do you like the NFL better than college football, like... He went to Penn State. I get it. Like that's a big football school. That's cool. But like, I, I don't give a shit. I I I don't I don't care. I mean, it's just like it's. 
I just don't understand it. Like, why I have to love college football? I didn't go to a college with a college football team. I'm not a I'm not a fraud fan like Sean himself. Mm-hmm. So I just I don't get it. All right. Well, the good thing about well, this pod is that Frenchie's going to convince you by the time the end we're done here that you're going to love college football. So I watch college football. I know what's going on, like on the on the outer end. I don't of think it. you do. So we're gonna we're gonna get you to pay more attention here. It. All right. So hey, Frenchie. If nothing else, we'll at least talk about a couple prospects and give you a reason to tune in. Well, I think that's what it is too, right? Because come draft time, you're t- you're hearing all these names and all these prospects, and all of a sudden, fans, you know, think of and Frenchie, you know, you and I were kind of guilty of it too. I mean, we didn't boo the pick, but we weren't happy with Jones. We never, at least I never watched the kid play, and all of a sudden, within like a month and a half to, you know, three weeks. Every you're hearing all these prospects names of who your team might draft, and you really you're just trying to rush to the to the end zone to to find out what these guys are made of, and and they're you don't know anything about them if you don't follow college football. So right, and and especially when it comes to scouting, that turns into such an issue. You know, the casual fan we hear Daniel Jones, and nobody really knows. Carson Wentz would have had the same issue coming from a one double A school, except he's from a one double A school that won every year. You know, Jared Goff was under five hundred and he had a season where he had one win. You know, so there's a lot of outrage on some of these players that most people never watch play. Right. And I think that, you know, doing a full fledged football preview, college football preview, is not only gonna allow us to really enjoy the season, but also Give us an idea for the more NFL favorite fans of what they're going to be looking for on Saturdays and who's going to help their favorite team on Sundays. So let's start in the conferences. Actually, we'll start with the – since we're going, you know, right after the first week of the season, the preseason polls don't really matter, but I feel like they never do. And you and I have talked about this pretty extensively as so to how dumb it is. In college basketball, they do the same thing. A lot of politics involved. What are your impressions of the preseason top 25? Is there really any reason for it? And can we just get rid of it already? Financially, there's a lot of reasons for it. In terms of getting the NCAA talked about throughout the offseason, there's a lot of reasons for it. In terms of how effective it is, I think it's a pointless endeavor. to. It, it, it's guesswork. It's giving credit to certain teams and certain coaches because we know who they are. It's coaches giving credit to other coaches that they've worked with and respect in those ways. Um, I find it to be fruitless myself, but I also understand why the league want to do it. Because the first thing that everybody does on every talk show the next morning is argue about how it went wrong. Yeah, and that and that's fair. And I think, too, is exactly what you said. You know, you're talking about in those summer months where... There's no real NFL news. The NBA free agency period's kind of over and done with, and it's really just baseball season. And I think that as football is upon us, there's got to be reason for excitement, and this is you know, the real significance to the preseason poll. It's to get the morning shows and the talking heads you know, outraged and you know, disagreeing about things that probably don't matter, but they're going to they're gonna give the sport attention. Okay, so we've seen everything there. We know what's going on as far as... Why is Nebraska in here? Well, I was going to say, let's talk about the conferences. Because now, after a week of football, we're starting to see some of these teams for the first time. We'll start in the ACC, Frenchie. Obviously, this is Clemson's conference. Are there any other teams in this conference that you're looking at 
who have maybe some exciting prospects or could surprise some people? Of the other teams that I think are really worth uh, paying attention to, I think there's two that headline the second tier of this conference. Now, the first one is a prospect, but it's not a player prospect. It's a coaching prospect. Dino Babers at Syracuse is in line for a top-tier school. He's done great work everywhere he's gone. He put Syracuse back on the map where it's just been floundering for decades at this point and has made them respectable both as as a recruiting base and just a team to play. So I think that he's really in line for another big move up. I know it's across the country, but USC is really shaky right now. That could be a school looking for a new coach. And Babers brings a lot of intensity and some schematic advancements um, to the other places that he's been. Okay, so that's definitely exciting because when you look at Syracuse, I mean, we saw them last year. They were inside the top 20. They spent a lot of time there. They've had year. They've had games where they knocked off Clemson. They knocked off Florida State when they were good. They've rose to prominence, and I know historically they've been a football school, but you know we kind of associate that more with a basketball school. And he has definitely risen them to more prominence, and they're in the national spotlight a lot. You know they're not going to rival for that conference, but they're definitely they're worth watching on Saturdays, especially if Babers is going to take a big time head coaching job elsewhere who's the uh who's the second team that you had in mind the other team that i'd give you is virginia so virginia we always talk about virginia tech uh virginia i think right now is actually the school to watch uh beyond the obvious right now uh virginia's got a quarterback who i think has a lot of talent um, Bryce Perkins is another player who can just, you know, light up pieces. Um, and they've also got some good players in the secondary. The question's going to come um, with some of the, you know, trenches and everything like that. Uh, Bruno Mendenhall is the name of the coach there, and he's done a lot of work at some smaller schools. He was with Utah State for a little bit. Um, but he's always just kind of been teams to really step up on bigger stages than they should be playing. And I think he's another kind of top coaching candidate, but they've got a lot of athletes on that team, and I would have them meeting up against Clemson in the conference final. Okay, and I think that that's reason to pay attention, right? Because now when you're watching the ACC or you're watching these other games and Virginia's on, now this is another team where you can start paying a little bit of attention to. And I think on, you know, to the casual college football fan, or somebody who's just trying to sit down and watch some games, you see Virginia and you think, why would I waste my time watching this team? Well, now there's a little bit more reason behind it, and especially if they're going to meet Clemson in an eventual ACC championship game, you want to know some of that personnel too. Yeah, and Bryce Perkins, their quarterback, he might not have the most compact delivery, but he throws a pretty ball, and I think he's someone whose stock could really rise this year. Interesting, especially you know after the first three that are that are going to be going. Let's transition over to the Big Ten. Now, this is a conference, obviously, that has a lot of talent, and it's been ruled by Ohio State for the last few years. Ohio State is no longer with Urban Meyer, but to be honest with you, they still are a really damn good team. We watched them a little bit on Saturday playing uh, Florida Atlantic. Fields looks like the real deal. I know you're very high on him. How do you see this Big Ten shaking up? Um, I think the Big Ten is a fascinating conference this year, more so than it has been. 
a lot of it is Justin Fields coming in. How's he going to work with Ryan Day? Game one was against FAU, but you know they still looked like they're a pretty good combination. There's a reason that Fields transferred from Florida to or from Georgia to go there, and there's a reason that they got rid of Tate Martell to start Fields. Fields can play. Fields was the number two quarterback behind a guy named Trevor Lawrence, who were just watching light it up. So Fields is coming with a lot of game, and Ohio State has two other defensive studs. Uh, Jeffrey Okuda is the corner, and he had an incredibly low completion percentage and also a first down percentage against him uh, just in terms of one-on-one coverage. He's your classic Ohio State pure man corner, and his game has just been elevating. Uh, later in the season, he got more time and started playing greater. Uh, Chase Young is the DN to really watch. He's a top-five pick. He's just another pass-rushing stud out of Ohio State, and that's part of what's going to keep them going is they have a ton of talent on the defensive side, but they've also got Ryan Day, who was Urban Meyer's protege, and before that he was one of Chip Kelly's quarterback coaches and worked with him for a while. So he's had some good college coaching pedigree around him. Um, But Michigan has a great team. It's the best offense that they've had since since Harbaugh took over. And you really got to expect something out of Harbaugh. You know, we're talking five years now. This is the time. Urban Meyer's gone. This conference should be as open as it's ever been. You have the best offensive line you've had. Shea Patterson is easily the best quarterback that he's had there. And his defenses have always been great. And he's had some top-level talent there. You know, there's a point where we got to look at Urban Meyer. And I'm not saying, or excuse me, Jim Harbaugh. And I'm not saying that his job is on the line because he's brought relevance and stability to a university that, you know, prides itself on being relevant because they don't have the championships to pride themselves on. But what they do have is a program with a lot of wins and a fan base who thinks that they need to be competing all the time. And, you know, Harbaugh gives them that competitive piece. I don't think it's just going to be those two. Penn State's always dangerous. Franklin's, you know, Franklin might have taken over as the best college coach in the Big Ten. Um, But you're also looking at schools. Wisconsin is always going to be a team to watch out for. Iowa has A.J. Espinoza, a defensive end, who is just a stud. Um, He's got a whole lot of power coming out of that outside, and he's got some heavy hands that he plays with, too. Iowa's also, as always, got their, you know, linemen, you know, all the way through the draft. We see this year after year. It seems like there's another tackle coming out. Um, this year, Iowa has one called um, Alaric Jackson. Sorry if I mispronounced that, Alaric. Um, but he is just... <laughs> Sorry if I mispronounced that, but I'm just going to do it again and call you gonna... Well, I didn't want to go with Mr. Jackson. That feels a little strange for me, but... Um, This guy is just a freak athlete, and it's a freak athlete not coming out like Amanda Sean still has in his nightmares by the name of Eric Flowers, who is a freak athlete with zero technique down in Miami. Yeah, that name is is horrible. a freak athlete getting coached and schooled on offensive line play at Iowa, which is always one of the top schools to get it from. And then Wisconsin's another school you always have to look for. Jonathan Taylor is easily in the Heisman conversation. He's a clear, you know, top five player there. I think he's easily the number two running back in this class um, behind someone, 
you know, we didn't get a chance to talk about in the ACC segment, but Travis Etienne, um, those two are definitely the best running backs in this class right now. And Taylor plays with so much speed power. He's got that one cut and go. Um, and in the Big Ten, that's one of the things that you're going to need to bring. The guy's name is Travis ATM. Yeah, Travis ATM. That's awesome. And that one I know I said correctly. That one might be my – I'm switching my Heisman pick. Take it to the <laughs> bank. Take it to the ATM. I like that. All right. So, oh, take it to the ATM. I love it. Tom is – Tom is uh, Tom. once he finds a name, he's he settles in on it. So <laughs> – one team you didn't mention as we wrap up the Big Ten and all of those, you know, I think of the Big Ten as just this power smash mouth football conference that mm-hmm. is has, a, you know, obviously top to bottom some of the best talent in the country. It's probably the deepest. It's probably the deepest conference every year. One team you didn't mention is Michigan State, and they're one of those teams that personifies that kind of idea of Big Ten football, of the smash mouth power, you know, run the ball, great fundamentals on the offensive and defensive lines. Where do you see them this year? Because I know they're always a team that can pick off a Michigan or a Wisconsin or sometimes even an Ohio State. Yeah, the most dangerous thing about them is their coaching. You know, Mark D'Antonio always gets his guys ready to play. Um, Now, I understand that might not be exactly what they need there. Um, what they could use a little bit of is talent. And that's kind of my question with them right now. Um, now, granted, they have one player, Kenny Wilecki's. Uh, he's a Michigan State D end. He's a bit undersized for the end, but he's got a lot of speed to him. The problem is I just don't see um, that smash mouth, those top linemen. They're always going to have good technique. Michigan State's never going to be a bottom dweller but I just don't see a lot of ceiling with them right now. If you're looking for a surprise pick out of this conference, I think what P.J. Fleck has done with Minnesota, that might be the team to watch for. They're a bit more spread, but they still have a lot of that smash mouth kind of Big Ten style, um, and they have the kind of aggression that you need to really go make a couple upsets. Where do you see Nebraska in this conference? Tom asked it earlier. How are they in the top 25? What are, what are they? What is Nebraska this year? Nebraska's a little bit of, you know, sorry UCF, but we can't give you stuff, so we'll give your coach a little bit too high of a ranking in this preseason poll. Um, Scott Frost went from UCF after their undefeated season and went to Nebraska, and while they've made some improvements, they were a pushover last year. And to jump them all the way up there just because um, Martinez at quarterback has taken the kinds of jumps that people expect someone who is that highly recruited to take uh it it felt like a bit of an overreach for me i don't see them as getting back to that smash mouth nebraska or being all the way to that kind of spread space and pace scott frost team that he's trying to build they still feel a bit in between and a bit lacking talent to me okay so let's go to the big 12 this conference to me is fascinating because do you think texas is back because if they are and they can challenge Oklahoma. Of course, you have, you know, Oklahoma State has their ability under Gundy to win games. You know, you look at Iowa State always has the ability to pick off teams at home. That Ames is not a fun place to play. But obviously, this conference has been ruled by Oklahoma. Jalen Hurts is there now. They played Houston last night. He looked good. There was no really question. 
But I want to see him in this offense, and I want to see if Ellinger is the real deal at Texas. We know Kirk Herbstreet's just raving about him. And if he can bring Texas back to prominence, wow. So where do you see those two teams and just the conference as a whole? Yeah, well, there's a lot right there. So the first thing I'll say is Ames is a tough place to play unless you're northern Iowa, who took Iowa State to three overtimes this weekend. But beyond that, um, there's still a lot of competition in the conference, but it really comes down to two teams. It is Oklahoma and it is Texas. Um, I also think Ellinger has a lot of power with him. I think he's not as good of a runner and he's a bit better thrower, but he's got a lot of Tebow quality to me. Um, I'm not saying that makes him the best NFL prospect, but it makes him one hell of a NCAA 2019-2020 quarterback. He's going to be playing well for them. He's been playing well. If he can get the mechanics, get the footwork, some of those pieces, and Tom Herman's going to be there coaching him up for these things, I think he could take some step forwards. The big question isn't going to be, to me, who scores more. It's who can get more stops, and especially more turnovers. Oklahoma's got Jalen Hurts, who's just one of the best that we've seen at not committing that bad turnover. Um, strangely enough, I would think that some of the risk takers that Oklahoma has had at quarterback um, might actually be more beneficial to Texas right now. The offense that Hurts is going to run can't look the same. Hurts can't make the plays and the throws that Baker did, and he doesn't have the twitchy quickness that Kyler did or the same kind of downfield accuracy that we could see from Kyler at times. But he's got a different skill set and a really strong skill set in a lot of ways. So I think this really comes down to how much Riley's willing to adapt to Jalen Hurts and the kinds of steps that Ellinger takes. You know, we look at the defenses, we know they're weak, but who's going to commit that turnover, who's going to be able to get that stop when it's needed, and who's going to be able to convert those final fourth downs. And one of the guys, it's little. Excuse me. Good Lord. Uh, And one of the guys, yeah, excuse me. I'm just choking on my words. Um, One of the guys we've seen come up big in big moments time after time is Hurts. And I'm going to give Oklahoma the edge one more time. Um, I like Riley better than Herman as a coach. I like Hurts slightly better than Ellinger as a quarterback, just from, you know, what we've seen before. And defensively, I think it's a bit of a push, but I might give the edge again to Oklahoma because even though we haven't seen it, I do know that they've got some talent there. I'll give Texas credit. They've got this a lot closer, and they may end up splitting the series because we can't forget in the Big 12, there isn't separate divisions that meet in the conference finals. The two best teams, or the two teams with the best records, meet in the finals. So if Oklahoma takes out Texas in the Red River in a few weeks, Texas might still get a shot at redemption in the conference in the uh, conference final in the conference championship, and they might both end up out of the playoff. How do you feel about Oklahoma State? I've decided that I'm a fan of Oklahoma State this year. Go Pokes! Fire the cannons! Go, go Pokes! Hey, well, Tom, next time I see you, I'm expecting a mullet. Then you better get on with Gundy. Oh man, um, I gotta grow my hair out. <laughs> well. I like some of the pieces that they have. They're always, they've always got that kid brother kind of feel to them, you know, and that's part of the problem. But you have to appreciate a team that's going to be coming back with the type of talent they have. Many of their receivers are coming back, um, and that's always going to be key because Gundy loves to run those four receiver patterns. Uh, sorry, just a second. Uh, one of the other pieces that I will say about them is – 
they did play a legitimate school the other night, and you always got to, you know, give a little credit to that. Sanders slinging the ball is going to look good. Hubbard at running back. I think he's the one you got to watch. Chubba Hubbard, to give you another name. Nice. He's going to be running out of that spread. He got three touchdowns the other night. He got over 200 yards. Uh, he's someone who I think is due for a big year. And I think he's someone who's going to translate well to the NFL. Because if you can find power runners who are used to running with power out of a shotgun, I think that's a pretty rare thing to find. And I think it's what the NFL is also getting closer towards. Um, the quarterback for Oklahoma State, too, Spencer Sanders. Definitely clear dual threat. He's got big numbers running, and he'll have big numbers passing too, especially with all the weapons. But you're going to see a little bit more ground and pound from Oklahoma State than we're used to. Okay, so do you think they end up in the top 25 to finish off the year? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, given the schedule and what they've got, uh, they do have to go on the road at Texas. They're on the road at Iowa State. Uh, but they do get to host Oklahoma. I'm not sure if that's enough of a difference. They also have to be on the road against West Virginia. The teams that they get to host are some of the weaker ones in the conference. Kansas, even though they got Les Miles, they also have no talent. Les Miles may as well be playing. Um, they're hosting TCU. They're hosting Baylor. They're hosting Kansas State. Um, and they're hosting McNessie State. So all the home games they have are ones that, for the most part, they'd also win on the road beyond the Oklahoma game. So I don't think they're getting too many breaks. I could see them breaking into it, maybe with about eight wins. Um, but they've got a tough road ahead, even with some of the offensive talent. Go Pokes. All right. Go Pokes. So, Let's see it. Time to talk about the SEC, which to me has only two teams. Sean's and that pants, is... Sean's pants are coming off. Alabama. Well, you think I'm mm-hmm. a Bama fan. Listen to Frenchie talk about Bama. Um, oh, is that, that was quite. That connected? was quite the... That was quite the sight the other day. Frenchie screaming at the... French screaming at them as Duke scores three points. But Alabama, obviously, they're going to be threatening for the national championship again. And you've also got Georgia with Fromm in another year. Georgia, I mean, you can't come any closer than they have the last two years to beating Alabama. Where did that other Georgia quarterback transfer to? The other five? He's at... He's at the University of Washington, Jacob Eason. He's starting this year, and I know others, Herb Street and McShay, are both talking about him potentially sneaking into the first round and maybe with the Heisman push. But we'll see if Washington can compete with Oregon. We'll save a little of that for the Pac-12, though. Yeah, so when you're looking at Alabama and you're looking at Georgia, they've mm-hmm. played two really great games against each other in the last two years. I mean, it took a Jalen Hurts you know, relief duty in the SEC championship last year to come in and, and make sure that game was won. And obviously, Tua, the legend of Tua took over in the 2017 national championship game. So, in my opinion, these teams are just head and shoulders above everybody else. But you've been talking about LSU. I got to see mm-hmm. LSU beat Alabama before I can really start looking at them and putting them on that even ground. But you said that their talent, especially at the quarterback position, is the best it's been in a while. So talk to us about the SEC, obviously Alabama, and then Georgia, LSU, and anyone else you find interesting as well. Well, we'll start with Bama, and I think plenty is getting made about all of Alabama's strengths. And as Sean mentioned, I am a Bama fan. Uh, My brother, Not a fraud one, like Tom says I am. Did you go there? No, no. 
no, my uh, but my family lived in Alabama for years while my dad was stationed in Huntsville. Uh, it was before I was closer. born, but the whole family became Bama fans. He's from getting, it. he's closer than you. Yeah, I All right, agree with I'm that. Only, I suppose I'm only semi fraudulent, but that'll do. Yeah, um, you know, tons of talent. Judy might be the best player in the draft. Two was the top three QB. Um, one of the studs that they did lose, and I think is going to be a huge loss for Bama, is Dylan Moses, the linebacker. Um, he could have been a top, you know, fifteen pick at linebacker. Only space to move up. Uh, now he just blew out his ACL. He's done. Raquan Davis, a six-seven defensive tackle. They always seem to find those studs on the inside. But just to talk about Bama's weaknesses for a second, because I think they're legitimate. Um, they're starting two freshmen at the linebacker position, which is always one of the ones that Saban likes to put the most emphasis on leadership, knowledgeability of his defense, which is always multiple, and having some veteran presence there in order to just make the safe plays and not overreact to some of the things. And I think having some weaknesses there is going to be a major issue. And the other spot where I see them having some problems is the offensive line. It's another spot where Alabama has proven itself this is what we – you know, pride ourselves on, but it's not what they've been able to show. It's not what they've been able to do lately, especially, you know, last year we saw them just overpowered by Georgia at first in the SEC championship. And then again, Clemson just ran right through them, you know, defensively and offensively. So I think we have a couple issues um, if we're looking at some of, you know, what could slow Alabama down. You know, also against Duke, Will Riker, who's their kicker that they're relying on for punting and kicking duties as a true freshman. He missed both field goals, and Bama's kicking troubles have been legendary. So I don't think that they're this unbeatable monster in the SEC either. Uh, talking about Georgia for a bit, the first prospect you got to look at when you're talking about Georgia is the offensive tackle, Andrew Thomas. Might go as the first pick in the draft. You know, let's say a team like the Cardinals get back at the top spot or a team like the Jets who are in need of offensive line help or a team like, I don't know, the Giants just to kind of keep it close to home for us all. Um, desperate for offensive line help, Andrew Thomas, 6'5", 320. He's just built like a lineman should be. He plays mean and in pass protection, plays with sound technique. He's the kind of guy that the NFL needs um, on the offensive line, and that goes – for just about any team would be lucky to have him as a plug-and-play starter. But as a team, I also have to give them a lot of credit. Sean, you said you can't trust LSU until you see them beat Alabama. Correct. Just remind me when Georgia beat Alabama. Well, no, I mean, what I, I just I, I think that LSU gets talked about a lot, and it, every time that they meet in that, you know, in their annual game, was that the second week of November? I mean, yeah. it's never really even a contest. It hasn't. Yeah. It hasn't been close over the last few years, and it's always very hyped. At least Georgia has mm-hmm. not only hung with Alabama, but has been the better team for like you know four, three and a half quarters against them. Yeah, so that so was really my that was really my point. No, and so that's part of what this is. We've seen a team go up against Alabama, and with Georgia, frankly, they might not have the top level talent at some spots. Um, particularly at the wide receiver position, and also um, their secondary isn't the same as Alabama's, but they don't have the kind of holes that Alabama has. You know, Alabama, you're just concerned about um, some of the spots, especially at guard. You know, you're looking at two freshman middle linebackers playing. 
know, those are some big holes we're going into the season with for Alabama, but for Georgia, you're just not seeing those kinds of, you know, big losses coming from them. So um, I think Georgia's legitimate. I think that, you know, this may be their best shot in spite of the fact that, you know, the weapons that Alabama has are superior to theirs. But, you know, that's a kind of game that's won and lost in the trenches. So I think it'll be a fascinating one if that's where it goes. Um, LSU, Sean's, you know, favorite, Sean's least favorite school now that Nick Fitzgerald left Mississippi State. Oh, I'm so glad I um, don't have to watch him play at Mississippi State anymore. That was, <laughs> talk about Joe, overhyped. Jesus. Yeah, so Joe Burrow is the quarterback for LSU now. He played there last year, and he moved you know, pretty well. He did, I'd say, far superior to anything that LSU has had at quarterback for a while. Uh, Burrow came out as a top recruit, but he transferred out of Ohio State just because of the logjam that they have at quarterback. Seems to be a pretty you know, normal thing going on there now. Um, last year, he came out, he had a low completion percentage, but... He had almost 3,000 yards and a over 3-to-1 touchdown-to-interception ratio. And if you're LSU, where you're a school that's all about the ground and pound, you're all about playing good defense and all about just having secondary studs like they have this year in a guy named Grant Delpit. Um, he's another safety, just built out of that Jamal Adams-type mold, absolute stud all over the field, flying around. Um He's another one. If you're looking for some secondary help for the draft next year, you got to just stare him down all season. LSU really has some talent there. I think what brings a lot of hype this year is the fact that they have a somewhat legitimate quarterback. Um, Burrow's playing with a lot of poise from what we saw last year. Hopefully this offseason got them a bit better. And as long as they keep doing LSU things with some elevated quarterback play, you know they're a threat. Well, I think, yeah, and I think that's kind of always been my question. I mean, there were, you know, at the beginning of this decade, we saw them meet in that national championship game, and they were pretty on par with each other. You know, there were games where McCarron had to lead a, a lead drive down the field, but I felt like the two teams were very comparable, and that was a game, whether it was in Death Valley or in Tuscaloosa, it could go either which way, and it was going to be a dogfight. But the last few years, whether it was Jake Coker or Jalen Hurts or Tua, it hasn't really been much of a contest simply just because if Alabama just takes away uh, LSU's ability to run the ball and then they're forced to throw and they haven't had a quarterback that's been capable of doing that, particularly on given passing downs or like, you know, third and eight, third and nine. and, And, you know, the Alabama defense can just sit back and have a field day. I'm looking forward to seeing Burrow play. I'm going to be really plugged in on LSU, especially heading into that matchup in a couple months because, to be perfectly honest with you, Georgia has had the quarterback that can rival Alabama, and they've had the offense too. LSU Mm -hmm. just hasn't. Yeah. No, and um, I'm with you. There are definitely some questions, and Ogeron's another one where you got to prove something soon. Um, LSU's got a far hotter seat than Michigan, but, you know, Ogeron's getting to the point where we got to see something. You've got a top-tier, top recruit at quarterback. You've got the defense that LSU always brings. You've got that crowd at night that's always going to be behind you. Let's start seeing a little bit more, you know, push at the top. Even if you don't take Alabama down, um, you know, beat Auburn and really make it a game against Bama. 
prove you're at least the second best team in that division because it is up for grabs right now. Now, Tom, I know you're all about the names, so let me give you one more name, both for the season and for a draft on LSU. Man, senior, linebacker named Michael Divinity Jr. Ooh. Ooh. Michael Divinity Jr. What do you think? What's um, your grade on him? First round, second round? Uh, right now he's probably in the second round, solid second round guy. T- plays 6'2", he's about 240, mean. He's just a mean fly-to-the-ball-take-your-head-off kind of guy. Uh, the reason he's not moving up to the first round yet is just coverage struggles. Um, but if he can really kind of get his hips a little bit greasier, flip him when he's starting to drop in coverage. And again, this is partly an LSU scheme problem that might not just show that he can do it or he does it so infrequently that we're not really seeing it. But, you know, this man Divinity Jr., he'll get after you. Great I name. Love it. I love it. So Quick I got, question for you real fast. Oh, Tom, you want to jump I, in? I got one more question. Um, now, listen, I like how you were a little more down the middle on Alabama and you were a little more honest. Usually it's a suck fest when it comes to Sean. He's just blowing them all day. But really? um, wh- how many first-round wide receivers are on this team? On Bama right now? Yeah. I mean, Judy is the first one off the board at receiver. After that, there's a potential – I'd, I'd say there's at least another one who could make it to the first. And, uh, uh, excuse me, I'm blanking now. Um, Sean, help me out. Say words. Henry Ruggs. And Henry Ruggs the third. I think he could get into the first round. Um, there's two. Yeah, so we got, I'd say, two potential first-round corners. and I'd, Or, excuse me, receivers. But I'd say at least four that could be in the top three rounds. Wow. Auburn and Florida. What do we think of those two teams, just to wrap up this conference? Well, not to wrap up this conference, because I'm also going to make you talk about a couple more. Oh, don't uh, make me talk about Mississippi State. I can't do it. I won't. That be That's not going to be one of them. But All right. uh, Florida, I think they've had a uh, big coaching increase, and I think the coaching increase matters more in college football than in basically any other sport that we're going to be playing. Um a lot of it due to the recruiting. Florida had a good recruiting year, too. Um, I think Franks, from what we saw in that one game against Miami, still has a lot of work to do. I think it was a fluky win, no matter who won that. A lot of turnovers, a lot of sloppy play. So it's early, too. Zero. It's so early. They're playing in week zero. You know, The schedules are all kinds of messed up. They're down in that swamp, but... In spite of that, it's still week one. You want to see a little bit more precision, a little bit more accuracy, because you're going to be going into that with a lot of things scripted out for you. You know, it's week one. Your first half isn't going to be on the fly. You know, a lot of this, especially offensively, should be cleaner than it was for him. Uh, I still have questions. Are they the best team in the East? Um, You know, aside from Georgia, obviously. I probably still have to give it to them, but I think that speaks more to the imbalance between the divisions than it does how good Florida is. Uh, I think Auburn is very legitimate. They've they've got a lot of talent defensively. They're just loaded as Auburn always does. We see this year after year they just come back with another interior D lineman. They come back with another linebacker who's making life miserable for everybody. You know, this is what Auburn does year after year. Derek Brown might be a top five pick. Um, defensive tackle, six five, senior. 
Uh, he would have been a first-rounder if he came out last year. I think his game is aggressive. It's angry. You saw him light it up against Oregon, who is a legitimate top 25 team. Oregon came back with almost, if not all, of its offensive line starters. They've got one of the three best quarterbacks in the country. They have a quarterback who might be going number one overall. And the or, the uh, Bama, uh, excuse me, the Auburn, good Lord, Auburn offensive line, defensive line, kicker, whatever. Derek Brown especially rushing up the middle was making Herbert's night hell. He kept him under duress for a lot of that game, and the rest of the Auburn team fed off of that. Brown's a leader from everything that you read about him. I think he's someone who's going to be flying up draft boards that he's not ready to top of. Um, I'll also give some credit to this. True freshman, Bo Nix. Uh, Bo Nix, another great name, I'd say. His father, Patrick. That's a great Nix. SEC name. It's decent. Decent. Well, his, it's his not as father, good as ATM. His father, Patrick Nix, played with a running back from Auburn you might have heard of named Bo Jackson. And so he named his son yeah, after his teammate Bo. That's cute. So he named his son after his teammate Bo. So that's how his son got the name Bo Nix. That's cute. Yeah, it's adorable. Number one dual threat ranked quarterback, and he came in and played an outstanding game, big in the clutch, led Auburn on a game-winning drive against a veteran defense. Um, I got to give him some credit after that. The young kid looks good. He runs hard, too. He's got a good feel in the pocket. I think he's someone, if you really, if you really want to hold out for the 2022 draft, he's someone to watch out for. Um, but, you know, we're not getting too far ahead of ourselves. We don't need to you know, focus everything via the draft. He's someone who's just going to be fun to watch if you're a college football fan for the next three or four years. Good to know. All the right. Last, two teams last ones. Feel, the last ones you left off with, Texas A&M. Texas A&M has the only coach not named Dabo or Nick to win a national championship. Jimbo Fisher's the only coach remaining with a national championship. I don't think you can really write them off yet. We watched them push Clemson to the brink last year in A&M. Now they have to go on the road to Clemson, but they still got a whole lot of talent on that team. I know you're not the biggest fan of some of the players they've got, but they've got a top wide receiver, some strong running games. Jimbo got another top recruiting class, and he's really building something down there at uh, A&M. The only other team I wanted to talk about is mostly just to talk about one player, Kayshawn Vaughn out of uh, Vanderbilt University. He's the senior running back. I think he's going to be the third running back taken in this draft behind ATN um, and Jonathan Taylor. I just love his game. He's someone who runs angry. I think he's like a more fit version of Benny Snell. He's got a little bit more wiggle than Snell had at Kentucky last year, but he's got that kind of power. Every time he bursts through the line, you know he's falling forward, um, and I just love watching his game. Okay. I mean, it's a deep conference like it always is. I mean, both in the East and the West. The West, over the last you know handful of years, has been the premier division in the SEC, obviously ruled by Bama and LSU. But Georgia's been great, and it seems like you know Florida, they're starting to come back a little bit. We'll see what happens with Franks. Vanderbilt's yeah. a team that's worth watching. I mean, you're, I just feel like almost every single time that you watch an SEC game, unless you're watching the real bottom dwellers like, you know, Ole Miss and Arkansas or something like that, you're getting, Tennessee. yeah, Tennessee. I mean, Jesus, they are, they are real bad, but well, you, know, you know, the problem at Tennessee is the same problem. The Browns had a man named Jimmy Haslam, right? Yeah. Number it starts from the top. 
Yeah, the number one donor for Tennessee football. The number one donor controls a hell of a lot for these programs, especially with these. Um, when you have that much money in a school where there's only one person pouring the money in, the number one donor at Tennessee is Jimmy Haslam, and they have the same problems, constant coaching, firing, and hiring, and we don't know what we want. And somehow we get a great player, and then we just lose them on a transfer, or they fall apart because the school's no good. Yeah, yeah so you, can't until get, Tennessee, you can't get yeah, attraction until, by he- good head coaches. They don't want to go there, and it's it's nope. a real problem. Until Tennessee can fix that problem and have someone like, you know, one of their great alumni, Peyton Manning, come in and try and, you know, guide the ship or some different things like that. I'm not saying Manning's going to go, but, you know, they need a strong voice. They need a strong person at the top of it in order to really guide the ship and mostly to just take Haslam's money and then, um, you know, leave his decision making aside. All right. So why don't we move on to the next conference? Let's talk Mountain West. Mountain West. How do you feel about Boise State? They beat Florida State to start the season. How are we feeling? Hey, I'll tell you what, man. Boise State is back to having some, you know, real players out there. Um, Boise State is another team, I think, that is getting a little bit overlooked. But Mountain West actually has one of my favorite players for the upcoming draft, a man by the name of Julian Love at Utah State. Um, He's got a little bit more touch than Josh Allen, but it's the same sort of thing. You just look at him, and if I was going to paint a quarterback, it'd look like him. He's got nice feet. He's strong in the pocket. Um, He's somewhere between Josh Allen and Ben Roethlisberger when they were coming out. You know, I don't want to just pin Hall of Famer on him by saying Ben Roethlisberger, but their games when they, you know, were in college at some small schools are very, you know, reminiscent of each other to me. But if you want to talk Boise State, don't write off Curtis Weaver, the linebacker. He's another one. He just ruined Cam Akers' day at Florida State. Yeah, absolutely. Is that quarterback good-looking? Uh, let me let me ask you. What quarterbacks aren't good-looking? That's true. That's true. I, I just wanted to make sure. because He wants usually, Julian Love. It's usually a draftable quality for a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so Mountain West out of the way. A little curveball to Sean there. Conference but, of champion time. Pac-12. Pac-12. Oh, I'm sorry. By the way, I said uh, Julian Love. I meant Jordan Love. There Jordan you go. Love. Julian loves the corner. Jordan loves the quarterback for Utah State, the Aggies. All right, let's go. All right, All so right. let's move on to the Pac-12 at a somewhat irrelevant conference last year, um, both in college basketball as well as college football. I think we skipped them in most of our in most of our talks for both sports. So why don't you break down? Well, I guess we'll lead off with USC because they're kind of the most popular, and then move on to UCLA and Oregon and whatnot. All right, the fact that we lead off with USC is the problem with USC. Right? <laughs> they are just – because it's all anyone wants to talk about with that conference because there's so little going on beside USC. But USC is a nightmare right now. USC always has talent, but it's always got problems. And then the best player they had, their quarterback, JT Daniels, goes down with an injury against Fresno State. They barely walk out of there with a win. He's out for the season now. Yeah. That, that, that's that was bad. That's bad. Last I heard was that was the projection. I don't want to say it has or hasn't been confirmed. If you know that, Sean, you can. But Sean's um, plugged in. Yeah, he's got he's got the laptop open. I'm sure. Actually, um, yeah. <laughs> perfect. So USC is in desperate need of just an overall um, top to bottom. Again, where's a fish rot from? But Helton has done nothing for that team. They are just the most pedestrian, bland, white bread, wonder bread, 
like boring whole milk style of offense and game. It doesn't fit with anything. It's so middle ground in every direction that you're really not getting anything out of it. I okay. think they they just line up in more basic formations. It very much. So how do you really of, feel about them? Yeah, it, I really feel like that's the spot they need to go get Dino Babers or some of the or Bronco Mendenhall or some other top coach to come just bring a little energy and revitalize it. Your USC, they still get good recruits, and the fact that their position in the polls every year is lower than their recruiting ranks speaks to the poor coaching going on there. It's bad. So now you've got Chip Kelly there at UCLA. We saw them the other night. What are we yep. thinking about them? Is he going to actually be the coach to kind of rise them to prominence again? I mean, we, we saw them with Rosen a couple of years back. They didn't, they weren't really quite the team that we wanted them to be. And now Chip Kelly, I believe this is year two for him here. What are we looking for out of UCLA? Can they shock some people? I mean, I think a lot of people believe that this is probably Washington or Oregon's conference to, to lose. What are we thinking about UCLA? I think UCLA is a team that we just want to see improvement from. You know, last year they they had a bad year. I think it was three wins. Uh, um, yeah, it, it was it was way down there. Yeah. Yeah, we don't want to jump to start crowning them. Is this going to be the year that everything comes around? Um, now, Dorian Thompson Robinson was a five-star recruit at quarterback. He had a disastrous night against Cincinnati. Um, I'm not sure what it is. I know that his father started making some tweets and comments about Chip Kelly last year. I don't know if there needs to be a move. They also played without Casimir Allen, their top running back, and that was another kind of hit to what they're building down there. Now, I'll say this. Chip Kelly has done a lot of good. It usually happens a bit quicker, but since he left college football, you know, the game's caught up to him a bit. Every team's doing what Chip Kelly did in different ways. Every team has seen it so many times. I think it's on Chip Kelly to kind of grow in the game a little bit if he wants to really revitalize it. All right, absolutely. So I guess we're going to have to wait and see with them. Why don't we move on to some teams that are going to be more relevant in the Pac-12 this year, and that would be, what, Washington, obviously Oregon, and Stanford? Yeah, Washington, um, Oregon, Stanford, I those would definitely be the top three once again they're on the same division um so we have some of what we've seen in some of the other conferences where you just have one lopsided division uh i think that that's definitely where the talent lies washington i still think has washington and stanford have the two best coaches in the conference between chris peterson and david shaw either of them could walk in and get half a dozen NFL jobs if that's what they wanted to do now Washington's got Jacob Eason who you were asking about before Tom and I think he's got more to prove than anybody he's definitely looking to get a shot and show some people that they were wrong for getting rid of him down in Georgia Um, I think he's due for a big year once again Washington reloads at the skill positions and that's just where they really try and make their bread and butter Um, now they've also got Someone who, if he could have come out last year, would have been the first, arguably the first lineman off the board in Trey Adams. He's a senior now, but he's coming off some injuries. So we're going to need to see what happens and if his 6'8 frame can hold up. Um, Oregon's another one top tackle. Calvin uh, Throckmorton is his name. Let me make sure I get that one right. How does that name work for you, Tom? I'm a fan. That sounds like a, a tough lineman name. Yeah, Calvin Throckmorton. Um, I think 
That's another good one. And then Stanford, Walker Little. Each one of these teams has one of the best tackles in the country. You know, older guys, all massive frames. Um, you know, the small one is Throck Morton at 6'5", 309. Um, so each one of them's coming in with a standout blindside protector. Many of them are coming in with good quarterbacks, especially Costello, Herbert, Eason. You know, those are three quarterbacks that most conferences are trying to compare themselves to, let alone divisions. So they all have a lot of the same strengths, and it's just trying to figure out schematically what they're going to do in the rest of the areas. So that, I think, is really going to come down to some coaching matchups. And if I'm looking at coaching matchups, I'm just going to have to pick between the best coaches and go from there. I think this is Washington's chance to you know, reclaim and show something. I don't really write Stanford off because I do love Shaw, but I like Eason more than I like K.J. Costello. Um, who Stanford's putting out a quarterback. So um, the coaching matchup's a bit of a push. I'm going to look to the quarterbacks next and go from there. But if Stanford can play some real smash-mouth football like they used to do, um, they're really going to be able to push back against a lot of teams. Herbert's a quarterback that were, there was a lot of surprise that he didn't come out last year. Um, mm-hmm. He had a lot of positive momentum. There was a lot of good things said about him. And you do you talk about drawing up a prototype quarterback, especially in 2019, 2020. Mm-hmm. This guy could basically do everything. He's got every measurable. He's got the arm. He's got the speed. He's got the quickness. He's got everything. But he leaves yeah. a lot to be desired at times, including the other night against Auburn. Is mm-hmm. it is it his supporting cast? Like if I'm watching Justin Herbert and I'm a fan of a team that I know is going to be in the market for a quarterback in the draft and maybe Tua's going to be out of reach, maybe Fromm's out of reach, and there's a late-night game and Herbert's playing, and I'm thinking maybe this is the guy I want to start plugging into. What am I looking at with him, and should I feel a little underwhelmed by his performance, especially going back? I know it was a pointless bowl game, but he was horrible against Michigan State last year. Yeah, what I really want to see from him, I don't give everything to completion percentage alone, but that's what he's really got to start building on. Um, They give him some easy passes that he misses, and then they give him the difficult ones that he hits. He doesn't set his feet well in the pocket, and that really is the foundation of a lot of his inconsistencies. There are going to be plenty of coaches and, you know, talent evaluators who say we can fix that, but this is going to be his third year starting. You know, he's back for another one where he's just given the title of, you know, one of the top players in the country. He's got a chance at the Heisman, or at least he did before that showing against Auburn. He could still come back and really make some noise with that, though. He's also got a chance, I think more importantly from where he's at, to be the number one pick in the you know draft next year. But he's got to show the consistency, the arm strength, the talent. Everything's there. But if you can't hit the easy passes, if you can't hit the gimmies, and we're just expecting you to you know make a career off of the long ball every time, um, and it's not even that he hits the long ball every time, but you just watch him throw those, and the ones that go right go as good as can be. But he needs to really be able to hit that 10-yard out and just get that angle right, nothing going back the other way, and really focus on that footwork, that foundation, so that he'll be able to have fewer inconsistent plays. If he does that, you know, he's right up there. I think we said it before, Herbert, Tua, and Fromm are the top three QBs. After that, has kind of a mix of a lot of people. I'm a fan of Jordan Love myself. 
Um, you know, some people will go with Shea Patterson or many other QBs playing. We talked Jacob Eason for a minute. There's a lot of people who can make some noise moving to that top of the next tier. But Herbert's really got to prove that consistency to go along with the talent to make his stock rise. Who wins this conference? And then a kind of a bigger picture question. Well, how do first, we fix how do we oh, fix the Pac twelve? All right, well the first thing I'll stick with is who wins this conference. I'm gonna have Washington winning it. I think it'll be Washington or Stanford, whoever wins between those two. I'm picking Washington right now. Um, and I think Arizona State's going to be coming out of the South. They'll play each other. Washington will take that one. Um, you know, the real championship game comes weeks earlier. How do you fix the Pac-12? Um, I think that one just has quite a few issues. Number one, I think that when you're a conference that only has one, not famous, but prestigious team, They've really only got one team that everyone hangs their hat on as football prominence, you know, football royalty. It's just USC. Um, the SEC has a few between Bama and Florida and, uh, and Georgia and others. You know, the Big 12 at least has Texas and Oklahoma. Um, if you only got one team there, and they're not just they're not just struggling. They're not going through a rough spot. You know, they're embarrassing. They're Browns-esque. They're just, they're not finding out what, you know, they're not even fixing the things that they need, no need fixing. Um, they need need fixing, but I need word fixing right now. Um, USC getting themselves together, I think, would be step one. The next piece, I know a lot of people want to change the start time of games. I think that could be a step, but... People watch games at 7 o'clock at night without any problems. Um, I think the bigger piece, to get the respect of some of the other conferences, they really need the bottom to rise. They thought they were going to get that when Khalil Tate really blew up at Arizona, and then he got Sumlin to be his head coach, but they just looked rough in their Week 0 game against Hawaii, which they lost by about half a yard. And I know it's only half a yard, but it's also a loss to Hawaii, if you want to talk more Mountain West schools. Um, I think that they've got to get a little bit more talent at the bottom, so that way those bottom games aren't going on at 10.30 at night, because I do think it hurts some of the recruiting pieces. Pac-12 used to get a lot of talent because recruiting was so much more regional. So a lot of the California players, you just knew that the ones who wanted to be football only went USC, and the ones who wanted to try other things might go Berkeley or Stanford. And it's just not like that anymore. Kids will leave Southern California to go to Alabama every single day. So I think they just kind of need to stop leaning on those pieces so much so that they can put more pressure on the coaches and on the administration. I think that's where the fault's really going to lie. You know, that's no different than most conferences, but I think that the Pac-12 has gotten a bit lucky with its location, and that was great for a while. It's just a lot of the same issues in reverse that Notre Dame's going through. Notre Dame was just talked about for years and years and getting recruits just because it was Notre Dame. And Notre Dame was playing on TV every Sunday and all of those things. Well, now everybody's on TV all the time. So being Notre Dame doesn't get kids to the middle of Indiana. You know, being good, being relevant, being legitimate, being stable and structured 
those are the things that are going to get um, those pieces improving. Now, I like what a lot of the teams have done, but it's not a marquee team. You know, Washington's trying to make itself into a marquee team, and they've done well. The problem is every time they get on a national stage, they get blown out. So they need a couple things. They need their number one team to get its shit together. They need their other teams to have a better showing when they get on the national market, and they need the teams from the bottom just to be able to prove a little stability. Otherwise, it doesn't matter if you play at 10 o'clock or 7 o'clock. Nobody's going to watch. All right, so I think you might have fixed the Pac-12. Let's hope they listen to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so after this, let's just talk a little bit of uh, some teams outside the Power 5 conferences, then we'll talk some Heisman, some other college football stories. And we'll finish it off with our college football playoff picks. And then finally, we'll get back to something that is relevant, and that's the NFL. All right, so why don't you give us some of your uh, best teams outside the Power 5 conferences? Probably UCF and, and Boise State, obviously. Probably UCF. And, all right. Well, I think the first team that is outside of it for no reason other than the fact that it kind of just keeps itself out of it we have to give credit to Notre Dame. There were a lot of Clemson players that came out and said that the harder game that they had in the playoffs was Notre Dame than Alabama. Um, I think Ian Book is a legitimate quarterback. I think there's a lot to be said for, um, you know, the sorts of things that he did last year. You know, the schedule is always going to be a question with that team, but, you know, I think that they have the talent to run the table once more. They're going to have some tough games, especially Stanford is always a good one. But, um, you know, we're going to have to, you know, wait and see for them. Nevada already just had its first big win, a nice walk-off win by a true freshman kicker. And you got to love the start to there. Hawaii, you know, we already talked about them once beating Arizona, if you're just talking some of those. I still think that the Mountain West is going to be um, between Boise State and Utah State. I can't talk enough about Jordan Love, and that offense is as explosive as it's ever been. Um, they have a new coach named Gary Anderson. Uh, he took over from the incumbent coach, Matt Wells, when he left to go take uh, the job at Texas Tech that uh, Cliff Kingsbury lost, or left, rather. Well, no, no, it's lost. Um Air Force is going to be there, and while I love me some triple option, you know they're all they're going to be about six wins in a lower level bowl. Um, you know, there's a lot of questions that you've kind of got. I think the Mountain West is the best uh, group of five conference. Even its worst team of San Jose State, I think, has some improvement. Colorado State was a little bit rough last year, but they have the talent to kind of maintain. And UNLV is actually going to be good, if you're going to believe some of that. Um, they've actually got an offense that I think is worth watching more than the rest of their team. You know, But they're a team that I think is going to be able to put some points up. And you're not always going to be able to see... Um, you know, the talent that's there, but because of the record and the loss, but it's going to be a game worth watching. Um, the next one would be the AAC, the AAC. Nice. Um, yeah, thanks. Uh, thought I'd do what I could. The big question that I'm fascinated to see with them is we saw Houston, De'Aaron King, that quarterback for Houston. He's going to be great. Um, I'm a big fan of his as well. Wish he was at a school that could get a little bit more love. But Dana Holgerson left West Virginia 
to become the coach of Houston. And most coaches don't leave a good Power 5 school to get into the group of five, but that's what he did. So I'm fascinated to see what Houston's going to bring forth. Um, UCF-Memphis is just going to be a strange kind of game because in what felt like something of a sideways move, the Memphis head coach left Memphis to go to UCF, and I'm, uh, I'm interested to see just kind of where those pieces go with um, Josh Heupel there. So some questions on that piece. Um, other than that, I don't see too much UCF, and Cincinnati's not too bad. Um, we saw Cincinnati beat UCLA, but UCLA has a couple you know, questions themselves. Other than that, I think Georgia Southern in the Sun Belt's got to be the only other team um, off of that to really talk about. So um, maybe Appalachian State's going to challenge Georgia State in the Sun Belt Conference, and I watched that one. But after Georgia State just took out a weak Tennessee team, we have to give them a little bit of love um, as the favorites for that conference as well. All right, so let's move on to some Heisman talk. Um, I guess we'll pick our winners, but why don't you go over your top five candidates? Top five candidates for the Heisman, all right. So I'd say that if we're just looking in terms of candidates, you know, we want to start and keep it kind of simple and go straight through with quarterbacks is one way to do it. I think that the best players and the Heisman candidates don't really line up all the time. Um, so, for instance, I think Fromm is a top three quarterback for the draft, but I don't really think that he's going to be a Heisman candidate just based on how they play. Um, Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma, I've got in my top five for candidacy, even though I see him more, you know, if he's in the NFL as a quarterback, it'll be like a Taysom Hill type. So I think that the top five candidates are going to be Trevor Lawrence, quarterback Clemson, Tua Tungavailoa, quarterback Alabama, Jalen Hurts, quarterback out of Oklahoma, Sam Ellinger, quarterback out of Texas, and Jonathan Taylor, running back out of Wisconsin. So I think those would be the top five right now. I think Tua and Trevor are the favorites. I think it's a pretty wide-open race because, as we've seen a hundred times over, favorites almost never win this award. So, we'll see. All right, so who's your winner? Uh, right now, I'm just going to have to stick board and go with Trevor. I don't see a game that Clemson loses, um, even though I don't think it's the best sort of you know, ranking and style football power index, FBI, that ESPN uses. Um, no game gives... Clemson less than an 85% win chance. Um, if you're the quarterback putting up massive numbers after you won a championship and became the media darling, and then you go undefeated like that, I think his numbers are going to be huge too. Um, now we saw Tua kind of fade off at the end, and I think that's really what hurt him and Kyler come in and get the award last year. Um, otherwise, we could have some very similar things. And um, in terms of explosive offenses of someone who's going to just blow everybody away, unless either Texas or Oklahoma go undefeated, and I say Texas more so, because if Hertz goes undefeated, he's still getting compared to the Heisman winners of years past. So I'm not sure if even an undefeated season from Hertz in Oklahoma compared to an undefeated season from Clemson would be able to have anyone top uh Top Trevor Lawrence. All right, Sean, who do you have winning? I got Trevor Lawrence winning too, and for all the reasons Frenchie articulated. I mean, it's just 
Clemson's going to be such a fucking amazing team this year. I mean, if they don't have anything less than an 85% chance of winning every game that's on their schedule, he'll put up monster numbers and he'll get this award. I think Tua is right there as number two, especially if he has himself a great season. Ellinger out of Texas with the positive momentum he has. Frenchie, I got a name for you kind of just on the outside looking in. We mentioned, you mentioned this school as a team to give a lot of credit to. What about Ian Book out of Notre Dame? Do you think that he mm. could find himself somewhere in this mix? I think so. Um, he didn't get a lot of love, but sometimes, especially from a school that hasn't been relevant for a while, Heisman love takes two years. Right. I think Ian Book, with the numbers that you can put up in a Brian Kelly offense, compared to you know just getting some love and getting some momentum, I think Ian Book could definitely find himself in the conversation. I think it's a much more open um, race this year than people are really giving credit to. Tom, how about you, man? I got Tua. I just think he's going to have a massive year with all those weapons he's got down there, and I think he's going to lead Alabama to possibly a national championship game. And I just think the Heisman's more of like a PR thing, and, mm-hmm. and I think that Tua is going to get blown up massively this year. I think he's going to be, if a, if the first team in the draft's looking for a quarterback, I think he'll be the first one taken. So mm-hmm. I, I just think it's this is Tua's year for me. Okay. You know, and, and I want you guys both to keep your pants on. But I think two is going to just run through everything this year. Yeah, I can see that. So you mentioned the national championship game there, Tom, possibly seeing Alabama again. Let's just go real fast. Predictions for the college football playoff, guys. There's four teams that we can pick to get in here. And where do we see this whole thing shaking out, you know, at the end of uh, end of November, early December? Go for it, Mike. Four to one. What's your what's your college football playoff picture? You're our, you're our lovely guest, so we'll let you lead off. I am just the loveliest of guests. So, um, you know, this this, this hurts me as a Bama fan. But if I want to get called back on the pod, you know, I got to just give you what I think is going to happen, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't think Bama's going to win the SEC this year. Wow. Uh, their, their holes scare me. They do. I don't think they're coming back with the same sort of squad they did last year. And last year they were on the knife's edge too often. So I got Georgia as the number two team. Clemson as the number one team. I think Notre Dame's going to get back in as the third team. And I, you know, we've seen this play out again and again and again. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be the winner of the Big Ten to Big 12 if I had to just kind of, you know, put a stamp on it for that fourth spot, which always just seems to be the one who's left over when it gets down to all of this. You know, we could open it up further, but then one more team will get left out. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Oklahoma. Okay. I think all right. O- so we, uh- Oklahoma finds its way back, um, you know, to finish on through. Clemson will smack around Oklahoma. Georgia and Notre Dame will have a pretty decent game, and I'll have Clemson over Georgia in the championship. All right, it's a good game right Another there. Clemson, that, I like the I like the sound of that uh, playoff picture for sure, man. And and I give you credit because you know it's it would be very easy to pick Alabama again. Um, and I think you know you did a really good job of talking about the holes that they have, and I think it's just public perception from 
anybody even on the periphery of the college football world to just say, yeah, they'll figure it out because they have the best players and it's the next man up mentality. But you're right. The way Saban prioritizes linebackers to start two true freshmen, that's a glaring hole, especially when Georgia's come so close to beating them twice. Uh, you're going to need kind of like a superhero kind of role by Tua this year if he's going to make up for it. Tom, how about you? Where do you see this shaking out? All right, so I'll go 4-1. to one. I have... Michigan at four. I think that this is Harbaugh's year. It's the year. This is the year. And I have at number three, University of Georgia. Number two, Clemson. And number one, Alabama. If I'm going to pick two to win the Heisman, that means that they're going to have a big-time year this year. Mm -hmm. And I just think that I trust Saban. you got to trust him. It's almost like Belichick at this point with, uh, with the NFL. And... If we were to take it to the national championship game, who plays the three and the four and the what is it? One and the One four, and four, two yeah, and the three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So obviously, I have Alabama moving on, and I have another rematch: Alabama, Clemson. I have Alabama taking this one. All right. God, I hope you're right, Tommy. Oh Jesus, I hope I'm wrong, but <laughs> I, I just want to be historically right. Um, yeah. For me, I also have Notre Dame finding themselves back in there. I think Book's going to have a big year, especially if I do think he's going to be somewhere in the Heisman race. Um, I'll put him in there. Um, I'll have them as my fourth team. My third team, I'm going to have Oklahoma. I just think Jalen Hurts is going to have a big-time year for them this year. And I know he doesn't have the big playability like Baker had or like Kyler had, but I think his kind of more conservative play and just his high efficiency and also his addition to running the ball, I think he's just setting himself up to be a really high-end player this year. And Lincoln Riley, I just have a lot of confidence in. So they'll be my Mm -hmm. third team. My second team, I'm going to have University of Alabama. And for a lot of the reasons Tom mentioned, and, and Frenchie, you're the college football expert, and you know, you've know you definitely talked me down, especially with how big of a Bama fan you are. I know it hurts you. I just need to see them get knocked out first. I, um, I know the Iron Bowl is going to be in Auburn this year, and if this true freshman quarterback, uh, Bo Nix, is playing really well. We saw Jared Stidham knock out Bama a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um also, obviously, you're going to have that LSU game. And if LSU can actually challenge Alabama with an offense this year and maybe take advantage of some of those holes on defense, then that's a game that could knock them out. And then, you know, you're probably setting up an inevitable SEC championship game between Georgia. I just, like Tom said, I've just got to trust, I've just got to trust Saban that he's going to find the personnel. And they might have a couple more close calls this year. I mean, I know last year they had that Citadel game. And they have a couple games a year where, you know, we call it close, but it wasn't. it's not really close. It's close by Bama standards. I think they will actually have some legitimately closer games this year. But when push comes to shove, I'm just going to go with them. We did our NFL picks last night, and I just, you know, rolled with the Pats again simply because I just feel like Belichick's just going to figure it out, and I feel the same way about Saban. And then my number one team is going to be Clemson. I don't see any way – that they can possibly lose a game this year. And they'll mop the floor with possibly Virginia in that ACC title game. And I've got Clemson-Bama again. And I have Clemson winning this time again. All right, so 
Do you want to talk college football stories or we just move on to the NFL? No, I want to talk. I have some questions for, for Frenchie, some bigger picture questions. Because, Frenchie, we had you on this pod and, you know, we wanted to talk about the conferences and, you know, talk about draft prospects and all that good stuff, all that nitty gritty stuff, right? But I think yep. there's some big picture questions, especially for a guy like Tom or for, for people who have been, you know, listening to this pod now for a little over an hour and are trying to think, okay, then what, but still I need answers. What is going on with college football and why do I really need to be in and all in on this? And Tom and I have had this conversation a lot, especially when we were doing Monday rundowns last year, analyzing the week, the prior weekend of games. And one question that's been raised a lot is the significance of the regular season. And you're, by the sounds of all of our predictions this year, it sounds like we think it's going to be a little bit more wide open than in years past. But mm-hmm. the dominance of Alabama and Clemson over the last few years has definitely turned some people off. Now, in, in the NBA, you know, it's it's also been kind of that way with Golden State, and it was with Cleveland before, and obviously we saw the Miami days, but that sport's a little bit different. Here, it's a college game. If you don't have an allegiance to a certain fan base and you're just watching games, you know everything just seems like it's setting up for that Clemson-Alabama matchup. Has the dominance of Alabama and Clemson recently de- been detrimental to the importance of the regular season? I don't think it's been detrimental to the importance of the regular season. I think it's just proof that there are you get, unless you build up a whole wealth of leeway with these committees, you have no backup. You know, almost every team here, you get one loss and you're out. I think what hurts the value of the regular season is how all of the other bowls have diminished. So getting to the Rose Bowl or winning the Pac-12 or some of these other pieces aren't thought of as accomplishments because they're not national championships. So once your team gets one loss, it's kind of out. So I think that might have some of the bigger issues. Now, more big picture you know, this comes back to something that we ask, you know, quite often is our dynasties good for the sport, you know, and Alabama has been a dynasty and Clemson is coming on and has built up themselves to have their own kind of diamond dynasty. And each one of these conferences for so many, it feels like, you know, there's almost nothing going on except for the same pieces getting rerun again and again and again, it's Alabama again, it's Alabama again, but I'd say that dominance like this is good for the sport. You know, women's basketball, what would they be without what UConn did? You know, men's basketball back in the 60s, it takes what UCLA did to really build up the rest of the competition. Um, Dynasties happen because there's greatness in a certain area, a certain team, something like that. When Golden State had its small dynasty, it's because they were innovative. And they did something new, and they did things that everyone else had to adapt to to compete with in order for the playing field to get leveled out. And now the sport's better for it. Um, I think, you know, all sports kind of go through these. And if you follow along with the ratings, they typically go up when there are dynastic teams. You know, some people in support and some because they want to tear them down. But the thing that I'll add to that is having people tune in to watch Alabama and Clemson again I think might be the part that gets a little bit more draining because it's not as if it's one Goliath that everybody's trying to take down. Now it's basically turned into two teams all the way at the top that everybody's just kind of watching on repeat. 
So that might be a little bit draining for an average fan, but I think it's the most important of the regular seasons compared to any other because one slip up for, you know, almost every team is the end of an opportunity for a championship. Yeah, and I've always liked that too, and that's kind of where you argue. I mean, we saw Ohio State, you know, think that they got jobbed the last few years not being able to get in when they've had such dominance, but, you know, you can't lose by 30 to Iowa. Like, you just can't afford to do that if you're a top team and there's only four spots. Mm-hmm. Next, we're this is starting to become more of a trend, and Tom and I have talked about this, and, and you and I have talked about it off the air, and the diminishing of certain bowl games that you alluded to before in my previous question. What can be done about some of these top prospects choosing not to play in the season? I mean, we saw Nick Bosa last year just decide that after his little core injury, I think that was week three, just shut it down. We've seen that happen a lot. And then just not playing in the non-college football playoff games. I mean, the Rose nothing. Bowl, we've seen some really good You could play. do nothing. Get your money. Uh, but see, that's the. But like, I think that that's a problem because if you're going to highlight these games, if you're going to prop up these games, don't you want you? It's hard to do that when the best players are shutting it down. There's one answer, bro. Pay the players. It's one, Pay that's the it. players. That's it. What else can you Tom, do, man? Tom, I'm with you on this one. I think a lot of it's pay the players. Pay them extra on these pieces. Um, and one more thing that I'll add to pay the players is how about if there isn't a risk for additional health pieces? If you play four years of college sport, if college sports in this nature or whatever it is, they have all that money. Health insurance already afforded through at least a certain amount of time, if not, you know, forever. I think that's one of the other major issues that comes out of there. And then uh, giving the players a part of the, you know, bull money that's not going to be able to attract everyone when we're talking about the kind of money that's going to be on the table. But there can be enough in that, especially when the rights are being used so often, to where it can be um, something that they want to be a part of, not because they're getting a $500 swag bag, but because they're getting something a little bit more comparable to what they deserve. Absolutely. And unfortunately, I don't think it's going to change anytime soon because we know that the NCAA is almost as corrupt as uh, FIFA. So. Yeah, and, and the Olympic it, Committee. So it's really, it's not, nothing's going to happen, Sean. I hate to break it to you. And I'm going to tell you right now, they better be watching out for the XFL. Because the XFL is going to start trying to poach some of these players coming out of high school or after one or two years in college and say, why do you want to go spend another year in college playing for free when you can come here and make a couple million dollars before you go to the NFL? Yeah, I think that could throw a real monkey wrench into things because. These players are, we've seen the trend, and it's, you know, part of the hypocrisy of the NCAA is it's supposed to be this romanticized, oh, you know, school spirit and love. Students first. Yeah, love love for your team, love for your school spirit, love for, you know, the culture of the institution, and that's all just bullshit because these these are money-making machines. Of course. you're, You're going to these schools. We see it in basketball, too. These guys are going to that school because of the coaching, because of the national spotlight that's going to be on them every week or in every game. They don't have any allegiance to these schools. In some cases, you do. But it, for fans of certain teams who are all bent out of shape about you know guys deciding not to play, I mean, it's not how it was back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, even 80s. These are, these are guys that are making business decisions at 18 years old to go play the place that's going to be the best jumping off point to an NFL career. 
And once they've maximized everything they can out of it, what's the point of giving more? Yeah, it, in 1964, Walter Byers, who was the first ever executive director of the NCAA, created the term student-athletes. And the whole purpose of it was to create a way that they wouldn't need to pay workers' compensation. So that's the purpose of creating all of this term that people try and hold so dearly. It was in order to be able to you know, keep the players in a position without power. And I think that's just what they've been able to do by creating student athletes. That's not that's not a workforce. That's not an entity that can unionize, that can fight for what it deserves. So it's just been an entire time of trying to, you know, put them out of power, you know, to take more and give less. And, you know, we can start about all the historical things that happened there, but to stick in just with the NCAA think a lot of it comes down to that and not facing up to what the NCAA is and what college sports are. It's a billion fucking dollar business and the workers need to be compensated in it. Absolutely, man. There's nothing, there's nothing, nothing's going to change. It's unfortunate. But yeah. No. It's, the, it's the dark truth. It was more just, I posed the question to just see what you guys were thinking because obviously pay the players and then you go down that whole rabbit hole of well, who deserves more, the Heisman quarterback or the third-string offensive lineman who's making the same sacrifices? You know, it's listen. I, it's I tough. agree with you when you say that, but and it'll be a tough it'll be a tough haul trying to figure all that out. But doing nothing about it isn't isn't the answer. Right. No, I agree with that. So, Frenchie, we dissected college football all the way down to uh, down to its essence. And that now, was your episode of sports thrown. Thrones porn, everybody. That That's was good. That was that was that, was, that was college football porn. So, let's Tom, go. I, I don't, Tom. I just don't get why you say that. Like it's a reason people aren't going to watch it. You just named two of the most popular things in the world right now, and if you add porn on that, I think you basically just have an obsessive fan base once more. You know, <laughs> you know, you're absolutely giving right. Giving them more of a reason to jerk themselves off. No, you're you're totally right. I'm just. I think it's a very fair comp. College football and Game of Thrones. Yeah. All I, mean, right. I, I think there's something to it. Thank you. Thank you. I think I got some legs to that you one. You were right. very excited about it. So, Let's Frenchie, move on to the NFL you don't just here. know college football. You're an NFL guy, too. So, Boom. I'm the best. You are, yes, you are the dual threat machine. So, give us your division winners in the NFC. Tom and I did our whole preview last night, so everybody listening is either digesting those episodes or ready to go. Division winners and wild cards in the NFC. How do you see these divisions shaken out? And what's the, this, this conference is so wide open in my opinion. Where do you see this going? My man. Yeah. The NFC is fascinating for a much better reason that the AFC is the NFC. The NFC is incredible because there's so many teams that could take a playoff spot. The AFC is interesting because you're really trying hard to pick a sixth team to make it. Um, the NFC right now, I'll start with the NFC East. I got the Eagles taking the division and the Cowboys getting a wild card spot. I think they're two of the three best teams in the NFC right now. Um, the third, the other one of the three, I think, is the L.A. Rams. Um, McVay's coming back. Goff's, you know, doing everything they do. I think that the loss of Sue seems minor, but they still have some defensive talent that's lacking in my eyes, especially when Seattle just went and got Jadevian Clowney. Um, now, the uh, West, I don't see anyone else coming out of that because I think that the next wild card team is going to come from the NFC North. Um, the NFC North, to me, is the toughest division to pick 
that's a spot where I really wish I could pull two wild card teams from, but um, I just I I don't think that's going to be possible with how good the Cowboys are going to be this year. Um, I think that this division is going to actually get switched over to the team with the best coach in the division, the Minnesota Vikings. Um, I'm not a huge Kirk Cousins fan, but I love the parts that go around him. I think the Bears are going to have to take a step back. You know, when you just have that young quarterback with the running offense and, um, you know, a great offensive mind who comes and shapes everything and it all changes and, you know, there's going to be a step back. I also think the loss of Vic Fangio, their defensive coordinator, the talent's still there, but the schemes aren't. And, you know, there could be a bit of an adjustment to that. So I think that division is going to be, you know, the winner and the wild card team will probably both go 10 and 6 between the two of them, and I think the Packers are going to be right at their heels. Um, I just, you know, there's still a couple questions about the Packers, and I think the number one question with a lot of them is going to be health. You know, the Packers had a couple weaknesses, though. They improved on the defensive side. They improved the coach relationship, and players have the offseason to get healthy, but those are still three question marks that are going to have to play out through the season. And then my last team coming out of the South, um, I'm not a believer in just – you know, looking at things running back, there's always a lot more change than we give credit to. I think the Atlanta Falcons are going to come out of this one and the Saints. I was right there with you, man. I was right there with you. Well, that's disappointing. Here I am thinking I'm original. No. But, <laughs> yeah, I thought the same thing. Like, can we just talk about how Breeze really did not play well in the second half of the season? He didn't. Breeze looked rough. You could just see through the second half of the year that the – the arm strength was just starting to fade out. Now, I love so much of what they've done, and you have to give Thomas that money. I'm all for it. Um, but it, it's just, I think that's a team that has to kind of lean on some of those pieces. And if they're leaning on those pieces so heavily while still having supposedly an all-time great quarterback, I'm just... Not that Breeze isn't, but he's not the same Drew Breeze that he's always been. And those injuries so. that Atlanta had last year, I mean, that that was that was an insane amount of time missed by almost the entire defense, some big-time players on offense. I mean, you've got to believe they're going to be a healthier team this year, and I still think Ryan has a lot of good football ahead of him. And the one, one more thing I'll say about the Falcons is the top two players they drafted, um, they just shored up their offensive line in a way that it needed a little bit more depth and a little bit more strength. And they got two top players for that spot, you know, there in the draft. And I think that'll be a huge benefit, especially when we talk about depth. Okay. So you've got Philly winning the East Atlanta, winning the South Minnesota, winning the North and LA winning the West. And your two wild cards are green Bay and Dallas. Who's your NFC championship game and who wins? No, my wild cards are uh, Chicago and Dallas. Oh, Chicago and Dallas. My fault. Okay. Mm-hmm. But man, I'll tell you that wild card spot, especially after Clowney just went to Seattle, uh, those are some tough ones to go to. I'll also say this: the uh, Packers, they just picked up a linebacker in a trade with a team called the New York Giants, and they got themselves a linebacker named B.J. Goodson. Not sure if you heard about this because it was about an hour ago. But, no, I didn't see that. Um, yeah, B.J. Goodson just got shipped to the Packers. Okay, for what? Uh, not sure yet. I just saw the uh, saw the big headline there. Okay. So but, who's your NFC Championship game? 
uh, NFC Championship game. I think this one's going to go Eagles-Rams in a highlight of the last two teams in the Super Bowl. Um, and I got the Rams going back to it. Good stuff, man. Okay. AFC. What are we thinking there? AFC. I got the Dolphins. Hey. Last, um, Last place. Uh, AFC East. Sticking with the Patriots because you have to. Um, I just don't know where else you're going to go in this division right now. Um, go towards the south. I have the Jaguars taking the south. And now that they got a left tackle and some other pieces got shored up, I got the Texans in a wild card spot out of the south. I really think that Foles, you know, move to Jacksonville. If Foles is average, they've got one hell of a team. I think they're closer to the team that they were two years ago than they were the mess that we saw last season. Um, out west, I've got the Chiefs. Um, I think that one is just kind of clear. I don't think they're going to be as dominant as they were last year. I got a lot of questions about that defense. Now they're switching from a 3-4 to a 4-3. Spagnolo's got a lot of difficult pieces to work with in what seems to be a bit more of a simplistic scheme. A lot of players who have uh, played under Spagnolo have talked about the questions that you know they have and just trying to learn the schemes and how difficult it is not just the schemes, but the verbiage that Spagnola uses. So I think that defense is going to have some questions. Then the AFC North, I have the Steelers <clears throat> taking the division, and I have the Ravens as the final wild card spot. Um, I think the Steelers are due for a massive year. I think Ben's still got a lot more juice in his arms than some of these other quarterbacks. I think losing Brown is addition by subtraction. You know, we see even the Raiders are getting tired of him, and that's the goddamn Raiders. So, you know, what was going on in Pittsburgh that the Steelers were able to keep quiet for so long? I think that defense is legit, and adding Devin Bush, who they traded up for, I think he's going to bring a lot of fire and a lot of speed to that defense that they've needed since they lost Ryan Shazier. Side note, glad to see Shazier's doing well again. You know, just getting a view of him on the sidelines now and again. How do you feel but, about the Browns? Um, I, I'm not as high as most are. I think they're going to be, you know, around 9-7. and seven. They'll be in the fight for it. Um, that team's got... That team, if they have a three-game losing streak at any point in the season, could just implode. Freddie Kitchens, as a head coach, he skipped so many steps... You know, you don't go from running back coach to head coach like that's very often. And I'm a believer that there's typically a reason that you don't do that. Um, they've got so many question marks there. Defense, I think, um, has a couple more holes than we're willing to admit. Everyone just talks about Olivier Vernon coming in. Um, they must not have watched much of his tape since he left Miami because they're not really getting a stud pass rusher opposite Garrett. I like some of their secondary pieces, but um, their safeties are a bit questionable as well. I'm just not a big fan because at the end of the day, the next spot that they really need to sure up is the offensive line, and they lost more pieces in the offensive line than they added. So I think that's another area that they're going to have some um, issues trying to figure out as well. Yeah, Tom and I talked about this last night, and you and I have spoken about it too, man. I mean, just to bring to attention... I hate these teams in the NFL that are really, really hyped up that haven't done anything yet, and we're just blindly supposed to pick them because of, you know, 
a couple of good things. Odell Beckham is not a team leader. He's a great wide receiver, but he's not a team leader even if his teammates love him. And we saw that yeah. in his Giants days. I mean, this is a guy who was universally loved in that locker room, but he's not a team leader, and wide receivers honestly really shouldn't be. And Baker, you know, he's spent a lot of time, both him and Odell have spent a lot of time this offseason talking about teams that they don't play for anymore or haven't. And I think those distractions matter. I, yeah. I, I agree. I, I don't, I mean, Baker, when we did our quarterback tiers, I put him in tier five. And it's like, listen, I think he could, I think he could be great. I mean, if I'm a Cleveland fan, I feel better about him. I have to feel good about him because he's the only one that's really shown me any kind of positivity in the last 20 years. But he won five games last year and he lost a couple games that he should have won. He's turned the ball over a lot. And I'm not going to just anoint him as this guy that's going to come in and win the MVP this year. He was talking about Daniel Jones and then had to backtrack those. And Odell seems like, you know, he's not over the breakup with the X yet. And he's hurt again and not playing. And all these kind of things. Freddie Kitchens, like, trying to be this really, you know, make all these tough guy, cliche head football coach, you know, sayings and I, I don't know. I just don't have a great feeling about this team, let alone... I mean, we watched Vernon every week with the Giants. He was basically a non-factor. And the offensive line took a step back, which is supposed to be what you're supposed to give your you know young quarterback the... Uh, that's going to give him the security. So I, I don't know. This it's a this is a great fantasy football team. Tom used this quote last night. I don't know if it's a great reality football team. Mm, that's it. That's a good line. Um, I'll give you one Thank more you. stat about. I'll give you one more stat about the Browns before we move on. Um, last year they went one and six against playoff teams. Their one win was against Joe Flacco's Ravens. All right. Well, Sean already convinced me last night to flip flop my team, so I'm even more convinced now. Why don't we move on to? You got one more division left. No, he wrapped him up. Okay, all right. So why don't you go over your representative for the um, the AFC in the Super Bowl, and then we'll get a Super Bowl pick from you. All right. Well, as much fun as just a straight-up rematch would be, um, I actually think that there has the potential for a couple struggles in New England this year. Um, they This might be their most athletic team in a couple years, but it's also easily their youngest team. Um it's their youngest team while Brady gets older. Are we going to have a Garoppolo thing with Stidham after he looked? Um, you know, as well as he's looked so far, they've moved on from Hogan. So or, um, I'm just not, you know, all in on another uh, New England season going this way. I really think that um, the team coming out of the AFC this year is going to be the Steelers, and I think they're going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs in Pittsburgh in the AFC Championship game. Wow, you're high on the Steelers, huh? Uh, I'm really high on the Steelers this year. I still love the weapons that they had. They got rid of Antonio Brown and Belden, come back, and they still have one of the best quarterback-wide receiver-running back combinations in the league, and I think their defense is one of the best and most underrated you know, units there is in the league. Um, and then I have the Rams over the Steelers in the Super Bowl. Okay, all right. We're we're the same on Super Bowl picks. I feel smart. Yeah, I went with chalk again with the Pats. 
just because oh, I feel like it's we smart. We know Sean's a little soft. So. But, whoa, easy does it there, my All man. All right, so you got the Rams winning the Super Bowl. Why don't we move on to some things off of the teams here. Give me the top three rookies to watch this year, and then why don't you follow that up with your defensive and offensive rookie of the year. Oh, top three rookies to watch. Well, I mean, if you're just looking on the Giants, there's so many. Um, but if we're just talking more generally. Zimenez, think- right, Frenchie? O'Shane Zimenez, I'm telling you, there was a rookie that the Jets picked up also in the third round named Ja'Kai Polite at 68. Stop. He got cut. Not sure if anyone heard me talk about some locker room issues that that man had, but said it was a bad pick at the time. Go listen to the tape, everybody. Um, you were right. O'Shane Zimenez, you know, 30 picks later, looked like a stud. But if I'm really looking at some um, top players, I think Kyler Murray is much CTV. What Kyler Murray is going to do in this offense under Cliff Kingsbury, you have to follow it. I think that whether or not they win games, Kyler Murray is going to be someone you have to watch because this could be something that turns into the new trend in the NFL or this could be something that's just another blip of why the air raid doesn't work. Kyler Murray's explosion might be the way that more quarterbacks at this size and athleticism you know, get the opportunities to do it, or it might just be proof that Russell Wilson's one of a kind, and even he was a lot bigger than most quarterbacks at that size. Um, I think there's a lot more in terms of the history of the NFL that could be written based on what happens with that team than any other, so I'm fascinated to watch them. Um, The next player, I think I've talked about him enough with the Steelers, Devin Bush. The linebacker, I think he's someone that you need to keep an eye on. Um, He flies all over the field. The team he's on traded up for him, and even though he was my number two ranked uh, linebacker, the one my number five overall, um, I do think that he's going to be put in a better position than Devin White was and will be in Tampa just because of all the talent around him and the opportunity he'll have to just attack the ball time after time after time. Um, and then the last player I'll say that you really need to keep an eye on, um, and this one, mm, I think that we've seen a lot of him already, although you haven't been able to pick up on it much because of where he's at, Josh Allen in Jacksonville, another top 10 pick. If we're really just talking must watch, you know, we'll keep it in that group. Josh Allen has just looked like a speed demon off the edge in the couple moments we've seen in preseason. You know, in college, it looked like he was always just a man playing with boys. But we're starting to see a lot of the same stuff. He's just beating tackle after tackle off the edge. I'm fascinated to see what happens after that. Because that's one more where it goes from needing to have such an insane variety of moves and heavy hands and things like that. If Josh Allen is someone who's really successful, and we could also talk about Brian Burns and Montez Sweat in a similar, you know, idea. But if speed alone can do it, it starts changing the way that defenses will be looking at talent moving forward. All right. So who's your offensive rookie of the year? Who's your defensive rookie of the year? All right. Well, so a couple things to really bring out with these is just looking positionally. The majority of offensive rookie of the years by far are running backs. Um, so I think there's a lot of safe money to be put in that position if you're betting. Uh, I'm actually going to go into the third round for my offensive rookie of the year, staying with that running back position. Chicago's David Montgomery. Okay. Um, I think Chicago's going to have 
you know, be in a position where they're going to need to lean on the running game a little bit more now that there's a year of tape on Trubisky. Um, so I think they're really going to lean on him. He's a power guy. They're going to be using him in that read option a lot. I think he's someone who's going to have a huge year. The pick after him is Devin Singletary, who also just got a massive opening on the depth chart now that the Bills got rid of Shady McCoy. Um, another you know sleeper pick in this area, Terry McLaurin, would be another one to go with. But um, offensively, I could also see the first man I brought up on this piece, Kyler Murray. If they really take the league over the way that they're talking about doing, I think that you know they they could put up some massive numbers. My big question with them is what happens after eight weeks of tape and if those numbers are going to be enough to overcome a running back with great numbers and a struggling and uh, you know on a much better team. Thoughts on Josh Jacobs because that's who both picked him. For Tom and I, yeah, Tom and I both rolled with him, and we and the you know part of my rationale for him was. Just knowing what he did at Bama, how great he was. And we saw Saquon Barkley win Offensive Rookie of the Year last year on a five-win team. I don't think Oakland's mm-hmm. going to be any better than the Giants. If you're just a great running back and you put up big stats, doesn't really matter how good the team the team success it does, isn't really tied with that award. So is he Saquon Barkley? No, but I could see him going nuts. I also didn't dive into the third-round picks like you, and that's why you're here. But what do you <laughs> think of Josh Jacobs? Um, um I definitely think there's a lot of smart money going to josh jacobs as well i think that my issue with josh jacobs is that he does he isn't saquon but the raiders line might be the giants line jacob needs a bit more of a hole than barkley does and he doesn't have that ability to have three yard run minus one one yard you know two yard run and then 70 yard run you know jacobs is going to need to be a little bit more consistent and in a bit more need of um, good line play. There's a reason he went 24 and not four. Um, but I think that Jacobs definitely has a good shot if Oakland's line really puts it together. That's what it's going to come down to. You know, how long has Richie Incognito been sitting on the sidelines because of the whole bullying incident? And now the Raiders are expecting him to be a starter at guard when he's there. Um, I've got a lot of questions about that offensive line more than I've got about Jacobs, and I think that would be what holds him back. I don't know, on defense, I mean, you've got Quinn and Williams, you've got Cleveland Farrell, you have a couple of Josh Allen, you have a couple high-end first-round picks. Um, where's the smart money, and is there anybody that we're not thinking of that was one of these top defensive players? I mean, obviously you got Bosa right there, too. Yeah, I think I've sung enough of Devin Bush's praises. He's going to be my bet. Um, if I'm putting anything on it, I think Josh Allen could be another one. Ed Oliver for the Bills. Let's not discount the Bills. They've got a hell of a coaching staff, and the defense has been outstanding for a couple years. Um, I really think that they're going to take some step forwards. You know, maybe have some talk in the wild card race. I don't know if they're there yet, but um, they'll have an opportunity to really push for it. Okay. Um, I also. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. To, uh, I had to take a sip of my coffee for. You know, dramatic effects. Naturally. Um, DeAndre Baker with the Giants. He's got his shot as well. Greedy Williams with the Browns. Um, I think he's going to, you know, have a great year. The problem is that corners are kind of like interior linemen. Um, Quentin Williams, while I think he is going to turn into one of the best players in this draft, they just don't get the kinds of numbers and love that you need for this award. You know, you really have to have some certain stats that really show, you know, what you are and what you've done. That's why linebackers really do well. If you're a high interception corner, 
So Greedy Williams, I think, might be high risk, and so his numbers might look better to help get him that award. But it's usually a linebacker or an edge rusher who ends up with this, um, or also a safety because they can have really they can have some good interception numbers along with high tackle numbers as well. Okay. Um, so Tom and I saved some of these uh, to talk with you about, so we can kind of do all do some of these together. Um, first coach fired. So there's a bunch of options here and some of them are first year guys that we don't see that very often. Some of them are guys that have been on this hot seat for a while now. I'll start with Tom. Tom first coach fired this year. And how long does it take? Uh, I think the Browns rehire Hugh Jackson just to fire him again. What do you guys think? That would be great. Now I think it's, um, I think it's Gruden. We're not one? John. Jay. <laughs> there you go. I think yeah. John Excellent. pretty much owns the Raiders at this point, but I think Jay Gruden gets fired. I mean, the starting of um, Case Keenum. Case Keenum. I mean, it makes sense, I guess. it's more. It makes more sense than the, the Dolphins' decision to go with Ryan Fitzpatrick, who I know all too well, but this team just made so many bad decisions, and it's not just his fault, but there's got to be an odd man out, and I think he's a lock for first coach fired. Frenchy? Couldn't agree more. Jay Gruden's going to be the first one out the door. His only saving grace <clears throat> may be that you need to give me a chance to play Haskins. Yeah, I don't I know agree. if that's enough. Here's one that I've been given a little bit more thought to, and it's only because it was such a disaster last year, and we know the tenor of an NFL locker room and just how we feel about it can change very quickly year to year. What about Doug Marone in Jacksonville? I mean, he was there was a lot of positivity behind him, but last year was a disaster. And if Foles doesn't live up to the hype and that team kind of gets away from itself this year again, could you see him being let go some point in the season? I don't see it. I I just think that he had too strong of a season two years ago. But by the way, I would I would say Gruden too. But I was just wondering if somebody else maybe Marone has that sleeper coach though. If if they if they get off to a terrible start and they end up in the two to three win range, Matty PP could be gone. Yeah, so that's yeah. what I was I was thinking Patricia for sleeper. My issue with saying Doug Marone is first coach fired, I can't see Tom Coughlin firing a coach mid season. Yeah, that's, so that's another good reason. That's that's my issue with them. I think Patricia could. I, I'm not exactly certain on how that would go. Um, one coach I'm very curious to see, because he's been respected, but he flew up pretty quickly. He got a job where they've been pretty middle ground, and it looks like they may be taking step back, is uh, Vrabel, the head coach mm, out in Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee. Good call. Yeah, he's another one where I think if things get rough and they actually end up starting Ryan Tannehill over Mariota, when they decide to reset with a new quarterback next year, is he going to be the one picking it? I'm not so sure. Worst team in the NFL. We've got some good picks here, guys. Frenchie, we'll start with you and then Tom after that. Who is Cincinnati your worst ben- team? Cincinnati Bengals. I shouted it out. I get so excited about this one. I think the Bengals are the worst team in the NFL. Their first-round draft picks already out for the year. They hired a, you know, if any coach got hired off of a cup of coffee, it was Zach Taylor. It was a cup of coffee with Sean McVay. He was the quarterback coach and an offensive coordinator who had no responsibilities other than just feeding Goff the messages that McVay gave him to. 
Um, the fact that he was hired just speaks to what Cincinnati had, you know, returning to them in terms of who they wanted. Does anyone know who Cincinnati's defensive coordinator is? No. Yeah, that's because you shouldn't. Cincinnati's defensive <laughs> coordinator. Um, Cincinnati's defensive coordinator came from the Giants of all teams. Oh. And he got hired by the Giants because, or I'm sorry, he got hired by the Bengals because nobody wanted to come there and coach it. Lou Anarumo. Anarumo. He Any was the association with the Giants defense over the last few years is not good. He was the defensive backs coach for the Giants last year. Yeah, that's not good. So we have the defensive backs coach for the Giants last year as the defensive coordinator. We have Zach Taylor, who was a quarterback's coach who didn't call plays as an offensive coordinator, and Anarumo didn't call plays as a defensive coordinator. So we have a bunch of rookie play callers with an injured team whose best player on the offensive line was a rookie and is injured. Their best receiver and player, A.J. Green, is injured. The talent on that team is just lacking top-down. And I don't see Andy Dalton, who's been injured over the last three years, being the one who can really right that ship. I think they're a lock to take two at one. All right, that's a good pick. I am going to go with the Miami Dolphins. They're selling everything. And they're selling everything, and I just think they're they're doing an NFL version of tanking. Mm-hmm. So they're tanking for Tua. It has to be, right? I mean, but here here's my thing. You're, you're tanking for Tua, and otherwise I would have no objection to that. But you and just I think that's smart. But you just trained it for Josh Rosen. So, like, what do you do? Do you believe in Rosen or not? I, I think this this is the new era of the NFL where you just try and build up quarterback equity and you see what you have. But the problem is, is they're not seeing what they have because they're starting Ryan Fitzpatrick, which, I mean, the book's been out on him for about six years now. It's so mind-boggling. So it's a team that's tanking, and it's it's also a terribly so, run team. So my tanking. question is, are they tanking for Tua, or are they going to tank for a top offensive lineman, a top defensive player? Like, what do you think, Frenchie? If, Tom, if Tom's right and they are going to tank, is it automatically for a quarterback, or do you think they actually would stick to Rosen, and then they're trying to tank and just get the best player available non-quarterback in the draft? So with the draft capital that they just acquired by moving Laramie Tunsil, um, I know Stills was in it, but it was a Tunsil trade. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm not certain. Yeah, I think I don't it's know possible. Either. I think it's possible that they are, in fact, tanking for Tua. But another way they could go in a draft full of linemen and receivers, they get the best offensive tackle, or they trade back and they inc- and they get more draft capital. They play Rosen next year when they just draft a top receiver, a top tackle. And then the following year, they have two or three first-round draft picks. And they, if they're not the worst team, they throw three dra- three first-round picks at someone to go get Trevor Lawrence. Mm, yeah. That that... Could be a, depending on how long of a game they're playing with Brian Flores running the show there, who I do like as a head coaching candidate, I think he, you know, the way that he was spoken about is different than most of the Patriots um, players or, uh, excuse me, coaches who kind of come about. Like, as a coordinator, he kind of came across as the Patriots' Tomlin on the staff, that it's all about player relationships and those things. He's not another just, like, brilliant schematic guy from the Patriots who's just borrowing Belichick stuff. I think, you know, he has some legitimacy as a coaching candidate, but the talent on that team is just... 
it, it's non-existent. Um, so I'm with you. I think that they definitely can be terrible. What's the plan? You know, are they trying to do a reset? How quickly? Because with the draft capital that they've got, it's going to take at least three years for it to manifest itself. So are they in instant need of getting a quarterback? Are they going to let Rosen ride it out for another year and hope that they're bad enough to where they either get or move up for Tua or maybe Fields is the next guy after that, maybe Ellinger? Um, you know, we're going to be able to see pretty quickly how it plays out. Yeah. But I think I'm not even sure the Dolphins know what they're doing right now. I mean, right now, I mean, if you're starting Ryan Fitzpatrick, unless you have a master plan and you're just smarter than us, it seems like they don't know what they're doing. My worst team is actually might surprise you guys. I'm going to go with the Washington Redskins. I think this team is going to be fucking awful. And if Gruden is the first coach fired, it's probably going to be because they are fucking awful. I mean, and they're kind of doing what Miami's doing. You're starting Case Keenum. And we saw Keenum's had success. I mean, he's two years removed from an NFC championship game, but that Miami or uh, Minnesota team was loaded. Uh, this Washington team is not. Now, Darius Geis is coming back, but Darius Geis, you know, those ACL injuries, those usually take about two years to, re- to really come back to, unless you're Adrian Peterson, who's also there and on his last legs. He had a nice season last year, but I don't really know what to expect from him. I mean, he continues to defy the odds. He's the running back version of Brady, but, like, eventually... I don't really know what he is. Then your your top offensive lineman refuses to play for you, and you're not trading him. So that's always smart. Um, yeah. Dan Snyder is the worst owner in the league. Uh, you know, right there is uh, is Davis. He might are you know he might be questioning him, but Snyder's terrible. And you know you take Haskins, but. Frenchy, I mean, you, you came on the pod during draft time and all three of us talked about it, right? I mean, Haskins isn't ready to play yet. So yeah. if you're so if you're going to start Keenum, who's, you know, just another veteran guy, you've got Colt McCoy in the room, and then you've got Haskins, who isn't really ready to play yet, with, I don't know who he's throwing the ball to. Doxon just got cut. Uh, you've got Snead, but he's, uh, not Snead, um, uh, Reed, who, who gets hurt almost all the time. I don't really know who he's throwing the ball to. The defense is a big question mark to me. I mean, I remember that game against the Giants last year. They just got absolutely gouged. And it was the Giants' offense was anything but elite last year. I think this team just sucks. And Miami's going to be real bad. Cincinnati's going to be real bad. I think Arizona's going to be real bad, but fun. Uh, I, I think that Washington could be a three-win team. Yeah, that's that's legitimate. Now, the next question goes, who's the first coach hired? Because if I'm Washington, I wouldn't hire him. But I see such a direct line between the Washington firing Jay Gruden and hiring Mike McCarthy. I think McCarthy's just sitting there waiting for whatever job he wants because clearly it wasn't available to him uh, after he was let go in Green Bay. Yeah, but that's the question. Was it not available to him? Because... If he's waiting for the job he wants, that's different from a job not being available to him. Right. So, yeah, I'm I not, mean, does he want to go to Washington? I mean, that's... I'm not sure McCarthy has all of the opportunities that we think he does. Okay. Personally, I, I think the next hotshot young coach, I've been talking about this man for years, is Byron Lefwich. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. He's he's about to be the offensive coordinator for Tampa this year. He's been an Arians protege for a while. He also played at the league at a high level, even though not the highest. 
Um, you know, he's just he's been paying his dues, teaching quarterbacks and grooming people in this league. Um, I think that he's another one of the young guys who's going to be coming up. Now, he doesn't have a handshake with Sean McVay quite yet. Um, but who knows, maybe he'll be able to get a job anyway. I'd like for him to have a couple more years as a coordinator, but he's another guy who's going to be able to start moving up in the um, you know coaching ranks quickly. Well, especially if Jameis actually has a good year, yeah. and he's the uh, one that kind of vaulted him to that level. I mm-hmm. mean, talk about building up equity and, and respect. I mean, that that's, that's a task that has seemed to be eluding just about everybody that's been in that situation. Yeah, and Arians even gave up play-calling duties to him, which was a big step for Arians, and it's a big opportunity for Leftwich. And he's going to be able to learn from one of the best play-callers in the last 15 years in the NFL while he's doing it. Yeah, that is, that's a very interesting take. I think he's more deserved than uh, than anybody in Cincinnati. But Absolutely. Let's move on to uh, the last thing. Let's wrap it up here. Why don't you give us your Offensive Defensive Player of the Year and MVP awards? All right. Uh, offensive player of the year. I like I like that they added this one because it's just like, hey, here's an award that doesn't have to go to a quarterback on offense. So I think that's pretty neat. Um, I think that the offensive player of the year um, this year, as much as I'd love to give it to Saquon and a couple others, um, I'm not exactly sure where this is going to go. This is one that I think could go in so many different directions. Tyree Kill could have a massive year. I just can't imagine them actually giving him um, this award just because of everything that's been going on there. You know, so you're looking in a couple other spots. Um, a running back who could have a massive year and really get in the talk for it, Christian McCaffrey. Um, but the player I think is going to get the offensive player of the year is going to um, be catching balls from who I think is the MVP this year. I'm sticking with the guys that I've been talking up all um, pod so far. I think Juju Smith-Schuster might get the Offensive Player of the Year, and I think Ben's going to be the MVP this season. Wow. All right, give me Defensive Player of the Year. Defensive Player of the Year is always a little bit trickier, but you know, you're just going to kind of have to look where's the pass rush coming from. Um I think that's where most of these end up going anyway, unless there's a middle linebacker who has a massive year or a secondary player who, you know, just really balls out on another level. I think that in a contract year with everything to prove, I think Jalen Ramsey's really going to be in the mix for this award. Um, I think Stefan Gilmore with the Pats could definitely be okay. in the mix for this award. Um, but I think that someone is going to come out from the injury crypt and come take back what was his. And even though he might not have the best season out of everybody, given that they just traded a pass rusher next to him, it's going to be Uh-oh. the story that gets it to J. him. J. I think Watt. J.J. Watt's going to get the Defensive Player of the Year award this year. He's going to do this, solidify himself, one of the best players. This is going to be like almost his swan song type season. You know, the Texans have a pretty good year. They got rid of Clowney, but... If Watt can stay healthy, and I'm just thinking for some reason this might be the year, especially if they're moving on and not paying Clowney, I think that you know Watt comes through with a big year, and the story you know kind of just drives him to an award. All right, so you already picked Big Ben as your MVP. Um, yep, that's pretty. That's pretty out there. I like that. And then yeah. finally, why don't you give us before we wrap this up, uh, Coach of the Year? Oh, Coach of the Year. I mean, if I just stick with all Steelers, I could go right back and say Mike Tomlin one more time, and I think that there would be an element where that would be deserving. But given the love that I'm, you know, giving this 
you know, team, especially for one that might be a comeback team in a certain sense, I think Doug Marone gets coach of the year. Okay. If I, get, I got the Jacksonville Jaguars taking the South. I think they could easily hit, you know, 10 wins and get the division, maybe more if that defense and the team comes together. And I think it will. I think a part of it's just I'm believing in the structure. Bleacher Report put out a beautiful article about Leonard Fournette, and if half of the article is true, he's about to have a monster year. Um, but I think Doug Marone takes Coach of the Year honors. All right, so you guys are going to be hearing from Mike French every Tuesday. He's going to be writing a Monday morning quarterback article. We already spoke about that. So, <laughs> Yeah, this is uh, my first time learning about it. but hey, you know, <laughs> That's because Tom <laughs> likes to sneak that in there anytime he can and yeah, just well, make yeah. sure that, you know, as if you're not busy enough, he wants to make sure that your priorities Sean, are only with us. Sean will get you my email. It doesn't have to be long, but, you know, every week we're going to need a recap of the week's past. Hey, we'll talk. We'll talk this out. I'm fine with it. I, I love writing for y'all and, uh, you know, long time listener, second time, third time caller. So um, <laughs> Thanks. It's, awesome. great, it's great being a part of it, hanging out with y'all talking football. I just don't know a better time to spend a couple hours. It's you know, the best. Figure we do it anyway, so we might as well do it on the air, right? Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool deal. Oh, Frenchie, thanks for joining, my man. Yes, that sir. was awesome. Awesome. Hey, it's been a pleasure on my end, too, fellas. All you know, right, keep buddy. Keep up the good work. Always a pleasure and honor being uh, asked to be part of this. Um, sorry for interrupting. <laughs> it's all good. Take all care, right. buddy. All right, Thank man. you Have for the plug. Right. Bye. Take care, y'all. Have a good one, guys.